Dear church family, as we gather for worship this morning, we hear our Lord's call to worship from Psalm 34, the first three verses. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. We'll now turn to the New Testament, to the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Mark chapter 6. And we will begin reading at verse 32, and we will read to the to verse 52. 32 to 52. Let's hear the word of our God. And they, that's Jesus and his disciples, departed into a desert place by ship privately. And the people saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran afoot thither out of all the cities, and outwent them, and came together unto him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people, and was moved with compassion toward them, because they were as sheep not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when the day was now far spent, his disciples came unto him and said, This is a desert place, and now the time is far past. Send them away, that they may go into the country round about and into the villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. And he answered and said unto them, Give ye them to eat. And they say unto him, Shall we go and buy two hundred penny worth of bread and give them to eat? And he saith unto them, How many loaves have ye? Go and see. And when they knew, they say, five and two fishes. And he commanded them to make all sit down by companies upon the green grass. And as they sat down in ranks, by hundreds and by fifties. And when they had taken the five loaves and the two fishes, when he had taken the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up to heaven and blessed and break the loaves. And gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fishes divided he among them all. And they did all eat and were filled. And they took up twelve baskets full of the fragments and of the fishes. And they that did eat of the loaves were about five thousand men. And straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before unto Bethsaida, while he sent the people away. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when he, when evening was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. And he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them, and about the fourth watch of the night he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit, and cried out, for they all saw him, and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them, and said unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And he went up unto them into the ship, And the wind ceased, and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure, and and wondered, for they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. So far the reading of God's faithful and instructive word. Dear church family, in Psalm 34, verse 19, David cries out, Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Many 
are the afflictions of the righteous. And it doesn't take long, whether we're reading in Scripture, beginning in Genesis and walking our way through to the end of the book of the Revelation, we are confronted with that reality again and again, that many are the afflictions of the righteous. Or we could just look at our own lives or the lives of our loved ones in our midst to see the, the, the various and the many afflictions. And the books of the, of the Psalms describe these afflictions over and over and over again as the psalmist, whether it's David or Solomon or Moses, cries out to the Lord for help. Afflictions of body, of mind, of heart. Afflictions, a result of sin in, in our lives. Afflictions from loneliness or rejection of people. Afflictions even that come our way, even as we walk in the way of obedience. The question, though, that comes to us is how, how do we respond to these afflictions? Is it in dependence on the Lord? Or do we remain, seek to remain independent, thinking we can work our way through it on our own? We can get through this challenge. Are we resting in the, the capable and the sovereign hand of the Lord our God? Or do we question and do we strive against the hand of the Lord? Do we seek to, to take matters into our own hands? trying to find relief, hope, outside of him. Maybe we wouldn't say this in so many words, but do we live like that with our actions? Oh yes, I'm, I'm aware that we need to make use of the means that the Lord gives to us to deal with various struggles and challenges that come our way. But we need to be cognizant of the reality that unless the Lord blesses, they will be of little avail. And dear flock, we know that there are many, many needs and cares that exist within the body. We're confronted by them on a daily basis. All we have to do is look into the bulletin to see the the list, the ongoing list, the changing list. And that is only but a fraction of what we see here. This morning, I desire to bring a message to those who are in the midst, the throes of, of affliction, encouraging, trying to draw your attention to encourage you to look to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is able and capable and willing to meet us in our times of need. Complexing times, unsure times, unsure of what the Lord is doing with us, even even when we may be walking faithfully in his ways, in the path of obedience. And so this morning from our passage from Mark 6, verses 45 through 52, we hope to consider Jesus' interaction with his disciples. A situation that the Lord called them to walk in. Calling them and us to remember that he is the Lord. He is our mighty God. He is the Savior of his people. And and he is the one who, who directs our lives who, who knows all about us, who calls us to walk these challenging roads. But he not only knows about us and he desires, but he desires us to, by faith, rely on him, recognizing that he as our Savior is the very God-man, 
truly divine and a real human being. And this makes him the most excellent, the most glorious one who can help and who does help and who sustains his people with his word and his presence. And we pray that as we recognize that in our lives, that we would then stand in awe, in wonder of who he is. Praying that our understanding, like the disciples, would be enlightened. And so we hope to consider this under the theme, Jesus' gracious care in the storm. We want to look at it through four thoughts as we work our way through this passage. He's the one that sends us into the storm. He's the one who sees us in the storm. He's the one who sustains us through the storm. And he's the one who satisfies or satiates our souls. In verse 45, we read, And straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before unto Bethsaida, while he sent the people away. Straightway, immediately, these words draw our attention to that this is an event that we're, that we're going to consider followed up right on the heels of another event. And so we need to ask, well, what took place just prior to this time of the disciples being sent out into the ship? Well, we read that, those verses together, 32 through 44. And Jesus had had gone with his disciples into across the the Sea of Galilee to find a time of rest away from the crowds and the people, but a rest that they did not receive. For the people came, found him, and Jesus, we read, had compassion on them and began to teach them. And as the day was far spent, the disciples came to Jesus and seems like they even interrupted his teaching and saying, the day is far spent, you need to send them away so that they can find food and go home. This is a desert place, they say. Send them away that they may go into the country round about and into the villages and buy themselves bread for they have nothing to eat. Now this crowd of over 5,000 people had been there in the heat of the day. And now the disciples wanted to send them away with no food, tired, hungry. And Jesus, in his compassion and his care for these people, says, feed them first. And they say, well, how can we feed them? Shall we go and buy 200 penny worth of bread and give them to eat? And John, John in chapter 6, verse 6, tells us that Jesus was doing this to prove or to test his disciples. Would they see him as the one who could provide them, this crowd, in their time of need? In this case, for food. Would they see Jesus as the one who would have the ability to provide for their daily cares and needs? Would they see him as one who would, who has the ability and the power to care for their physical health? Would they see him as the, as the, as the great physician? Would they see that in times of loneliness that he is one who sticks closer, a friend that sticks closer than a brother? Would they see that whatever troubling circumstances that come their way, even maybe when they're walking in the way of obedience, that Jesus will be there to care for them and help them and sustain them. So they had just witnessed Jesus feeding 5,000 plus people. They had seen his care for these people, his compassion for them. 
And now he constrains them. We read in verse 45, he constrains them to get into the boat and to go to the other side without him. This word constrained has a sense of urgency to it. It can have the idea that they were forced to, had no choice, they were absolutely like dragged into a situation, or it can, it can have the sense of they were urged to go, they were pressed to go, they needed to go this way. And I think it's this particular, this latter view. Jesus pressed them into the boat and sent them away. And Jesus was doing this with purpose. John 6 tells us that the people that he had fed, they were saying among themselves, this is of a truth, the prophet that should come into the world. Referring to Moses saying, there's a, there's a prophet greater than I coming. And then, and then John says that when Jesus had perceived that they, the people, the crowd, would come and take him by force, take Jesus by force to make him a king, Jesus departed again into the mountain himself alone. Jesus was compelling, he was pressing his disciples into the boat because he did not want them to to buy into the fervish desire of the crowd that he was just going to be a king, a physical king, an earthly ruler of the people. And so he pushes them out, he protects them from, from these desires of the people. But he is also going to test them. He's going to teach them something about who he was, his gracious character and person. And what it was to rest in him by faith, despite their circumstances. Dear children of the Lord, how many times have you witnessed in your life, have you seen the Lord's gracious care for you, evidenced in your life, or in the lives of others around you? And you know that he has done this or that in your life. He has cared for you in times past. And and now we find, maybe you now find yourself in a place of uncertainty and trouble. And the question is, will he care for you again? And as you look back over your life, you have to confess and yes, he will. But yet when you're in the thick of Challenging circumstances, things can appear so different. You find yourself in places that your heavenly Father has called you to walk in. Compelled to deal with particular situations or challenges in an ongoing certain, in an ongoing way it cannot be avoided. Maybe, it, maybe it's old age and the, the, the deterioration of the body. Poor health, maybe. Maybe it's loneliness, the missing of a loved one. Maybe it's in relationship struggles with children or a spouse. Maybe it's missing a, a, just a present reality of your Lord and Savior in your life, everything just seems so cold and dark. And you feel like you're compelled, pressed into this boat in the sea of life into its frequent ongoing storms. And maybe you're maybe you wonder why? Will he send deliverance? When will he send deliverance? How will he send deliverance? What does it look like? And the questions come in, in their various forms. But I challenge you to think about the questions that come to us in our passage today from the Lord. Will you rest in my faithful provision and care Jesus is asking us? Will you, by faith, take hold of my promises? 
even when things don't make sense or when there's no conscious presence of my of my presence with you time and time again as we as we read the scriptures we read of examples of men women boys and girls who are thrust into situations and are called to trust we think of abraham called out of Ur of the Chaldees to go to a place that the Lord would show him. He had no idea where he was going. Or later in his life where he knew he had been promised, he had just received the promised son, and now he's called to sacrifice him. Or we can think of David, promised to be the king of Israel, anointed to be the king of Israel. But on the run, because of Saul, of Saul's persecution. Or we can think of the little girl, slave girl, in Naaman's household, taken from her, her mother and father's home, called to serve the one who most likely had orchestrated the, her own captivity. Or we can think of Paul and Silas, sent to Philippi, and now sitting in the inner prison, held fast in stocks. Jesus constrained, compelled his disciples to get into the boat. And he then instructs them, encourages them, tells them, Go to the other side before unto Bethsaida. In the original, to go and before are actually connected in one word in the original language. And it has the idea they were to go before someone. They were to precede Jesus Christ. But the implication here is that Jesus was going to follow. Go before me because I am also coming. The disciples were to take comfort from this fact that Jesus was going to join them again, whether it was in Bethsaida or whether it was in the boat on the way there. They didn't know. But he now calls them to get into this boat and to row by faith to the other side. And so we soon find them in the the middle of the sea, among the swells of the waves, Now, as we come to this passage, because of our familiarity for many of us with the scriptures, it's easy to just read through this knowing the end, what the end is going to be. But I want you to try to place yourself in in, in the disciple's shoes in this boat. Because when we, we, we just read it, we can miss the urgency, the seriousness that the disciples found themselves in. They had just spent an entire day with Jesus in a group of 5,000 plus people. We read there were 5,000 men besides women and children. This could have been an incredibly large crowd. They had been busy the entire day. And it was late in the evening when they had come to Jesus about sending them away. And Jesus says, no, we will feed them first. And he gives, as he's breaking the bread, he gives it to his disciples. And they're distributing it to, to this crowd of 5,000 plus people. If any of you have ever done any type of catering, it's busy, hard work. They distributed the bread and the fish among the 5,000. They collected what was left over. And now it's late in the day, well into the evening. And now Jesus constrains them to get into the boat. And they're rowing to the other side. And at some point during that, as they're rowing, the storm, the winds pick up. No doubt they were ex- tired and exhausted as they climbed into the boat. And maybe they thought they could just 
relax a little bit, let down a little bit as they went to the other side. But now, tired and exhausted, late in the evening, they are forced to this arduous task, this toilsome rowing against the strong winds that were opposing them, that were contrary to them, making their journey excruciatingly slow. And now in verse 48, we read it's in the fourth watch of the night, somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m. in the morning. And they've been rowing and rowing. They must have been tired, exhausted, ready to collapse. And it was dark. Maybe they were at their wit's end, wondering how they could push on. Would they make it? How long would they be able to to continue? How long was this storm going to last? And maybe, maybe you have similar feelings or questions in the challenging situations that you find yourself in. Situations that seem to persist hour after hour. Maybe it's pain, maybe it's doubt, maybe it's Struggles of the mind, day after day, maybe month after month, maybe year after year. Maybe you're ready to give up. You don't know how you can go on. You too, like the disciples, have toiled in rowing. You've used the means, and yet it continues. And you wonder, does God care? Does he see me? Will he come? Will he intercede on my behalf Maybe you feel so alone in the middle of the sea, maybe even surrounded by friends and family, and yet so alone. Where is the Lord, you ask? But notice, but notice what Mark now says in relation to the disciples' desperate, challenging situations. Verse 48, And he saw them toiling and rowing. He saw them. Jesus, who was alone on the land, sees them in the darkest part of the night. Jesus, the God-man, the divine Son of God, yet a real human being, sees his struggling people as they row, trying to manage their on their own with the questions and the concerns as they're crying to him. And you're struggling, one, whatever your situation might be, Jesus, as the God-man, continues to see his people. He sees his beloved. He understands where you are. He, he knows the thoughts, the intentions of your heart. And friend, his knowledge and his sight of you will always, will lead to his imminent help and provision. Do you notice what comes immediately after he says he sees them? He comes unto them. He comes to comfort, to sustain with his very presence and his word of truth. He comes unto them walking upon the sea, Jesus, the Son of God, the one who knows all, the one who is almighty, the one who is everywhere present, is the one who came so low. He humbled himself to take upon himself real flesh and blood. He became a human in every way so that he could live in and among sinful men and women, so he could experience what life was like in this fallen world except sin itself. And part of, part of his being a real human being was to, was to enter, was to enter into the very storms that his people were called to walk and to endure. He came walking on the sea in the midst of the storm. Jesus, we see, we can picture him walking defying the laws of gravity. The waves must have been large. 
The wind must have been howling around him. The noise must have been deafening. And here comes Jesus through the storm. His glory, his majesty, his beauty shining forth as as the God-man, as, as this real human being comes walking on this stormy, wavy water. And he was making progress in the storm. The storm didn't slow him down. Dear child of God, this, there's not a difficulty in your life that will hinder him from coming to minister to you. There's not a storm that you may find yourself in that he has to say, this is too much for me. For he comes and he comes and he reveals himself as the Son of God, the Divine Savior, as the one who is all-powerful to address our greatest needs. But at the same time, he comes as as a real human being, as he enters into the afflictions of his people, manifesting that he sympathizes with us in our cares and needs. And this is pictured beautifully with uh, in verse 51 and it, when it says, and he entered into the ship with them. Well, maybe you don't sense or feel his presence, but this is where, dear child of God, he calls you to live by faith and not by sight. For even at the sight of him, what did his disciples do? It led them to question to fear. As Jesus comes to his own in the midst of this storm that we're reading of in Mark 6, he's seeking to do at least two things with his disciples. And the first is he's going to try and test their faith as if it hadn't been tried and tested enough. But he comes and we read in, at the end of verse 48, and he would have passed by them. The idea there, he would have, has the idea he desired to, or it, it was his intention. It's a, it's a difficult situation. How could Jesus just pass by, but he's, he's testing his disciples. The disciples saw this figure, Jesus, walking on the water beside the boat, but their fear paralyzed them from recognizing him. And when they saw him, we read, they walking on the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit, and they cried out. Even when Jesus was incredibly near, they failed to recognize his presence because of fear. And do we sometimes miss out on comfort of his presence because we don't recognize him? Maybe he came to minister to to you through a, a godly Christian friend who spoke his word into your life. Or maybe it was through an uplifting hymn that he came and spoke, but we failed to recognize him with the eyes of faith. But he came. The winds were still contrary to them. His presence didn't remove the storm immediately. There are times when Jesus will remove the storm just like that. And there are other times that the storm continues with Jesus present in the boat, as it were. He's trying, he tries us to see if we recognize that he is present in the middle of our most toilsome and tiring troubles. And what more do we need? Friend, what more do we need than to know that Jesus is with us in the storm? Knowing that he is not overcome by the storm, but he is mastering it, using it, Accomplishing his very purposes through it. The storms didn't surprise Jesus. 
Because in fact, if you remember, it was Jesus who compelled them to get into the boat and to go. And Jesus, as our divine, as the divine Son of God, knows everything. The storms did not confound him. He comes walking in the midst of them to minister to his people in the storm. Have you seen, beloved, that the storm that you find yourself in today is one that Jesus has called you to walk in, to row in, to toil in? Have you seen that this storm has not kept him away from you, but that he comes to minister to his own in the storm? Have you seen that this storm is one that Jesus is going to demonstrate and maybe has demonstrated to you that he is using it to conform you and others to his glorious image. Have you seen this as a storm that Jesus is using to build up your faith so that you would see him by faith? But Jesus not only tests his people and tries them, but he comes and ministers to them as they cry out to him. We read in our passage, as they cried out, immediately, immediately he talked with them and said unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. Note that these two commands come from Jesus, as the storm is raging on, the wind is still present. The first comes as a positive command, be of good cheer or take courage. And the second comes in a negative fashion, don't be afraid. Maybe as they heard these commands, they were said or were thinking at least, really, how? Look at the storm. How do we take courage in the midst of the storm? How do we not be afraid in the midst of the waves? We're ready to be consumed. We can't go on. And if this had all, was all that Jesus had said to them, maybe, maybe he was just a mere man, maybe, but notice what's found in between these two commands. Sandwiched in between them, we have the reason why they can take courage and why they don't have to be afraid. Because, as Jesus says, it is I, or in the original, I, I am. Jesus directs their attention to the reality that he is God He is the divine Son of God, their covenant-keeping God. He uses the name of Yahweh in the original, the name that God gave to Moses when Moses asked him at the burning bush, whom do I say is sending me? And God said to Moses, tell them that I am that I am has sent you. And here Jesus comes and says, be of good cheer, I am. I am, don't be afraid. Jesus draws his disciples' attention to the fact that he is God, that he's the almighty, powerful creator over all. He is the one who has the strength to overcome any of their needs. He is the one who exists of and for himself. He has the power to accomplish his purposes. He has the power to meet us in the storms of life. He has the power to sustain us. And if it is his will, he has the power to remove the storm. And as Jesus entered this boat with his disciples, with his tired, weary disciples, we read that the storm ceased. There was immediate rest. A friend, when the Lord Jesus, reverently speaking, enters into the ship with you in the midst of your storm, we too can have a sense of overwhelming peace that passes understanding. 
In the disciples' case, the storm ceased completely. But there will be times that the trouble, the challenge, the that you're called to walk will continue. And yet in the midst of that trouble and challenge, you can have an overwhelming sense of peace and rest. Knowing by faith that He is with you. And when, when that overwhelming sense of peace and comfort is present, there will be a sense where you are satisfied, you are satiated, and you can persist and continue. As the disciples experience this rest, the sense of overwhelming peace, satisfied and satiated by the presence of their Lord and Savior. We read that they were amazed, sore amazed in themselves, beyond measure, and wondered. As they look back now at the preceding day and evening, as they reflected on what had happened they had realized that they had not remembered. They had not remembered what they had known about who Jesus was and what he had done for them and in their very presence just hours before. Isn't it true, dear children of God, at times we can forget? We can forget who Christ is and what he has done for us. The disciples had not remembered how he had powerfully and wondrously demonstrated that he could and did provide for the 5,000. And could he not have cared for them in the midst of the storm that he had sent them into? They had failed to see and recognize his power and his glory. And because of that, they missed out on even when he was right walking beside the boat. But Jesus, in his kindness, his grace, once more reveals himself to his weak disciples. Demonstrating that he's the one who is willing, who's humbled themselves to meet us in our very need. He's the one who comes so low to reveal his glory and his majesty again and again to us. He's the one who saw them in the darkest part of the night. He's the one who transcends the physical qualities of the water and comes to them in the midst of the storm, walking on the sea. He's the one who calmed the storm with his very presence in the boat. And he does this again and again and again. And as the scales fall from their eyes, the hardness of their heart, as we read in, as we read in verse 52, that they didn't understand this. They didn't because they had not considered the, the, the miracle of the loaves because their heart was hardened. And as the hardness of their heart melts away at his presence, they stood in awe of their Lord and Master, in full amazement and wonder. Have you ever been left in awe at who the Lord God of the heavens and the earth is? We stood in awe of his mercy and his compassion for such a one as you. A sinner, one who is so unfaithful, so often doubting. Have you marveled at who he is and what he has done for you? 
Now, there are many in our midst who are in the middle of storms right now, whether they be physical storms, whether they be relationship storms, whether they be struggles of mind, whether they be spiritual storms. And it seems like there seems to be no end. You long for a word of comfort from the Savior. You long to know that rest and that peace that passes all understanding. And beloved, Jesus gave this passage to us so that our understanding would be enlightened, so that the scales of our eyes would be removed, so that the hardness of our hearts would be melted away. He desires you and I to to look to Him by faith, to rest in the reality that He is a God who sees, who sees you right now where you're at, understanding exactly what you're going through. But He's not only one who sees, but He's one who comes, who comes to you in the midst of your storm to minister to you through his people, through his word, through his comforter that he has sent. And he's the same one that today speaks into our lives and he says, be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. And today he comes and says, To do it by faith, resting in Him as He ministers to us through His Word and Spirit. We began the sermon by referencing Psalm 34, verse 19. And I only quoted the first part of the verse. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. If that's all that was said, there would be an element of hopelessness or helpless. But the verse continues. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. The Lord delivers him out of them all. The Lord not only sustains us in the midst of the storm, but He will and He does deliver His people from all of their troubles. Not just some of them, but all of them. Dear believer, this is a promise that the Lord gives to you. And He calls you to cling to. There is coming a day where every single trouble that we face in this life will be done away with. Look forward with the eye of faith to that day of redemption, where where your full redemption, when there will be no more storms or trials or tribulations, where all tears and sorrows will be done away, where there will be no more pain or death, but life everlasting in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ forevermore. Look forward to that day. Keep your eyes on Him and glory. I've spoken a lot to the children of God and their afflictions this morning. But friend, if you don't know Jesus, if you don't have him as your Lord and Savior, to whom do you cry out? Who who will come and minister to you in the midst of the challenges of life that you experience? For you are not exempt from trials and tribulations. Where do you go in your time of need? Well, the same Lord and Savior calls out to you to come to Him that you might find life, everlasting life, today.
Friend, when you're apart from Jesus Christ, you don't have the hope or the confidence that there is someone who's caring for you. In fact, John tells us in John 3 that the Father's wrath is abiding on you because of unrepented sin that he finds in your life. Psalm 34 says that his face is against those that do evil. These are solemn realities. But we have a living Lord Jesus who extends and calls out to you to repent and to believe and to come unto him that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly and in him you might have rest for your souls. Remember what Jesus said. It is, be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. Amen. Gracious Lord God, our dear Savior, we are so thankful that Thou hast revealed Thyself in Thy glory, Thy majesty, Thy thy deity, as the one who is a true human being, who is able to sympathize and care with our greatest needs and troubles and trials. Those come so that sinners could come to thee and find life and hope and rest for the first time, but again and again and again. And may thy dear people find rest for their souls amidst the troubles and challenges and tribulations of life. And stand in awe and wonder at who our Savior is. We pray this in the sovereign and the powerful and the beautiful name of Jesus Christ, the I Am. Amen.